to the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. It is episode 14, How We Fell in Love with Wine. A little bit of a summer podcast. We're going to just talk about where our love from wine comes, how that started, some of our greatest kind of wine moments. Um, not a lot of tech, but maybe we'll have a tech, how we fell in love with tech later in the fall. Okay, as always, <laughs> we have our insiders with us. Lori from Outshinery. Hi, everyone. Jonathan from Bottle Books. Hello. And Seb from Trolley. Good morning. <laughs> All right, greatest wine memory. Lori, what when you're thinking about wine, when you're when you're going back to all of those great memories you have, what what comes to mind? What comes to mind is I probably started drinking wine way too early. Um, <laughs> or like by North American standard at the very least. So as uh, some of you know, I'm from France originally and Burgundy especially. And as far as I can remember, there's always been wine at the table which is by the way totally normal uh in france and it's totally normal to just you know pour a little sip put a bit of water in it and give it to the kids obviously like i'm no longer like that young things may have changed a little bit there's a bit of a reconing that you know alcohol is not great for children um that being said like it's to me like i've always looked at wine as like a social uh family gathering um prop if you will like it's like it's, it's rarely been like the just like the, the hero of the of the dinner party but it's always something that we talk about i always remember my dad like oh we go to uh, a friend's uh dinner party she's like oh he needs to go to the cave and see which one he has like in this you know like storage uh in the basement like which wine bottle to bring always asking the friends like oh what are we eating to bring the appropriate wine so just like um just like a, like a very much a giftable um, everyday and big occasion, uh, yeah, piece of like French life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, yeah, you're drinking it for six years old and onwards. Jonathan, <laughs> Please you don't report the, my parents. <laughs> the, the opposite experience, no? I mean, you, you grew up in the middle of the, the States and, uh, you know, different, different alcohol culture. That's very true. Um, we didn't drink at my house. Um, so um, I didn't drink until a school trip to Germany. Um, and, uh, and that, of course, was not starting with uh, wine, but with beer. Um, and uh, the teacher had told our parents that, you know, we might uh, taste a little bit of beer when, if we were in Germany. Um, but uh, and our parents were okay with that. Um, we landed in Germany and the first thing we did was go out for a sausage and a beer. And I have to tell you, uh, it was a really traumatic experience because the first beer that I tasted, I hated. And I was like, my life is going to suck because I don't like beer. <laughs> um, but fortunately, the next night we went out to the Hofbräuhaus and um, I know there's a lot of other beers out there, but that was much better than the first beer. And so I was like, okay, things are going to be okay. But I don't... Well, about wine, though, I don't think I really got into or, or started drinking wine until college, um, wow. uh, probably. Um, again, I think the most wine I started drinking in college was when I was back studying in, in Germany, um, in Stuttgart, so drinking a lot of, of Baden-Württemberg um, wine. Um, but um, so I think I kind of came as an outsider to wine. 
uh, my first sort of wine experience um, was or the thing that really kind of sucked me in was meeting um, a sommelier uh, who had a wine shop here in Munich. Um, his name was Emmy May. And he was an Italian journalist and sommelier, and he was really into octotonous um, varieties. And, um, and even more than selling wine, he loved sharing his wine. And he had tons of stories and really got into the details and, and just had all these stories to tell about his wines. Um, and it just made it fun and it made it come to life. And um, yeah, it just had all of this, this personality. So I think that was really kind of when I knew I was um, headed in the right, headed towards the right industry. And Seb, did you grow up in Quebec? Is that right? I did. I did. I have a bit of a shared story between both Jonathan and Laurie because I did grow up in Quebec. Uh, and Quebec, as many of you might know, uh, all alcohol is regulated by a government body called SAQ, uh, which basically means that arguably Quebec has one of the greatest worldwide selection of wine, right? It's a single body buying all the wine for Quebec. Uh, so it's, it's a French-speaking kind of a province in Canada. We definitely did have wine well before the age of 18. Watered down, of course. Um, <laughs> and, and ultimately, um, my memory, my very first memory uh, of wine uh, is more or less related to anxiety, right? Uh, trying to go to the SAQ and trying to figure out what wine are we going to bring over to a party or a dinner or there's so many of them it's so complex and it's so tricky and you don't want to disappoint and you don't really know and so the initial memories of wine for me are, are not look they're okay everyone drinks wine yeah it's fine uh, I had boozy parties way before having proper wines uh, but then I moved to Australia so I left Quebec I was 17 uh, and then uh, managed my way through to Australia and then I started doing some proper wine tasting, walking to the wineries, the wine farms, talking to the winemaker, uh, seeing my interest. I've been brought in the back, tasting out of the barrel a number of times. And then I really started discovering the product properly. Uh, and my, my understanding and my appreciation of wine has changed completely up to a point where when I went back to Quebec going, you guys don't know wine. I mean, seriously, what's, what's happening, right? Uh, the relationship with that producer was, for me, a very, very important kind of aspect uh, of, of sort of a how I got into wine, 100%. So anxiety and then love, let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah, and what about, um, any of you can jump in, what about, is there is there a wine that you can still picture in your mind, you know, a wine that you maybe haven't had in a long time, but you can almost taste it still in your mind because it had such an impact uh, on you, whether it was the wine itself or where you were or. Yeah, so for me, happy to jump in here. Um, like a memory, you know, like uh, when we discuss the subject uh, of this today's podcast episode, like something that just jumped to my head. It's not a super long ago memory, maybe like five to six years ago. And it was a visit of a Cremant cave in Burgundy. So Cremant is, okay, I'm going to be like eaten alive for this, but like the, the Prosecco or like the non-champagne of France, <laughs> you know, um, so it's like a sparkling, uh, sparkling wine. 
And honestly, the wine itself wasn't excellent. So I'm not going to name um, <laughs> the cave itself. But what I really loved is the fact that as a family, it was like an outing. I go back to France, you know, like every year, hopefully. So it's like really like a, a treat to be back with my family. And as a family to go decide, you know, visit a cave. Nobody else in my family works in the wine industry either. So it's just like really like part of the culture. And as we were stepping into this old cave, I've been doing this kind of wine for uh, over um, like 70 years. And they were re reusing an ancient uh, quarry, quarry where they carve stones um, and all those stones, like it's just like all the, the hole in, in, the, in the hill, if you will, like helps um, keep the temperature constant all year long uh, as the wine ferment. Um, and what was magical is like, this stone, um, the quarry, like has been in action, like in use, like for over 700 years. Uh, and it's been slowly and surely like, carved. Actually, a lot of those stones now are on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. So they used to build, you know, like Paris uh, under Napoleon Bonaparte and so on. And now like the, the hold up, like the hole in the hill is holding wine that I've been enjoying with my family. Um, so it's just like, you could still see some of the mark of where the candles, um, or the oil lamp rather were being hung on the wall, you know, to lit up before electricity. Like it's just, so for me, it was really like being with my family, like enjoying this product and really be anchored in history. Not the, just like the history of wine, but even the history of almost like human, or at the very least like French um, civilization, if you could say. That was, that was really significant for me. Uh, I would dare say uh, it's probably not necessarily related to a specific wine, uh, but I did uh, throughout the years, uh, I did quite a bit of wine tourism, wine traveling through different countries. Uh, and I have a memory of a, a very hot uh, trip throughout the, uh, the throughout California. Uh, and I landed myself in a winery. And when you do a wine tasting at a winery, the winemakers try and have a certain variety of products, as you would all know. So usually as a customer, you don't always just love every single wine. Uh, and there's always one or two that kind of stand out. I visited that winery. Uh, and it's an old couple and they decided not to have kids. They just dedicated their lives to the wine and they had the dogs and, and every single bottle they kept pouring, every single one of them, I kind of went, oh, wow, that's crazy. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh my God, this is so good. And the reason why I remember is that every single one of their wine impressed me genuinely and the reason why I remember is that because I don't know who they are, where they're located. They didn't take my email or phone number. I have no way of finding them. And during that trip, we did like dozens of wineries and I was never able to find that winery again. It's lost forever. It's somewhere in the hills of lost in a tiny county in California. That is a sad story. I mean, good it's and sad, sad at the story. same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, my most memorable probably is going back also to to the, the story I was telling earlier. Um, one of the wines that he had was um, was a color uh, that he had in his store uh, was a colorino, and um, he also had this magnum um, of colorino, and he the. And uh, I think that was um, 
one of the most spectacular wines that I had had at that at that point. Um, not that I've, you know, drank in Petrus ever since, but um, just to actually be able to um, experience the complexity, I think that was probably one of the more eye-opening wines that I had had. Um, the more funniest wine, I think, that, that I had, uh, that I had um, uh, tasted was I um, walked into the, the wine shop and uh, was having some currywurst, and he, um, and he popped open a wine and um, and I, it was a red wine and I took a, a drink and I was like, this is not just a normal red wine. Um, and it was um, a slightly sparkling Barbarino and um, completely didn't expect it. I had no idea that you even had slightly sparkling red wines, um, uh, but he was like, you know, this is, this is a perfect pizza and currywurst. Uh, wine and he was absolutely he was absolutely right um i, I bought a few more of those uh, curry versed vines um <laughs> afterwards australia makes some uh, some really stunning sparkling shiraz as well uh, and like chilled in the summer it's it's just absolutely outstanding absolutely outstanding what, what about you david what's what's your what's your wine background how the crap did you get into the world of wine Ah, well, yeah, I kind of just stumbled into it um, um, a lot with bottle books, but I grew up in Ontario, like you, um, in, in Quebec, LCBO. you know, yeah, it was a very <laughs> controlled uh, selection of, um, yeah, you know, greatest hits, at least, you know, big producers and, and all yeah. of that. Um, but uh, now I live in, in, in Portugal and that's, that's, uh, changed a lot but actually what i think one of my greatest wine uh, memories is we did a, a trip with bottle books uh, uh jonathan and i and we were in sonoma um at, at staying at, at 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 jonathan's uh uncle's place and we took a bottle of pinot um to have tempura at the japanese restaurant and that was great and i still like try to <laughs> Because it's something that I don't think about, like drinking. You know, you think drinking, but drinking sake. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but um, somehow that just worked, and that was, I think, based upon his uncle's recommendation too. He said, "Grab, you know, grab a bottle and and and, and go here." And so that was uh, that was great. Um, <laughs> and I guess what does this mean? You know, the the wine uh, emotionally, like I, this is uh, what is what is wine mean to us like we've talked a lot about history um a lot about discovery and friends um family napoleon um <laughs> you know is this something that is it, are these emotions that have anything to do with tech are these emotions that we bring with us to building our products and to um what we're doing um running these companies uh, look, I mean, if, if I'm going to jump in, um, from my perspective, I mean, I'm a software engineer, right? I actually write code pretty much every day. I, I do enjoy writing code. Um, but at the same time, uh, the product from day one, I mean, not day one in Quebec, but day one in Australia, the product really started fascinating me from my, with my engineering brain on. Uh, the, the, the complexities and the variabilities and the amount of product uh, 
But when I really realized the number of wineries I've actually visited, I don't even count them anymore. Um, and um, when I realized how difficult for consumers it was to get to those wines, unless you go and visit, right? We have a winery that I visited called Wombat Crossing in the middle of uh, Pocobin in, in the Hunter Valley in Australia. Uh, the, the Wombat Crossing makes about 400 cases of wine a year, although he's growing about twice that, um, that amount in grapes, but he's just, he's just drops the grapes on the ground uh, so that he just makes the absolute best crazy bottles. Now, this guy, unless you've gone to visit, he's not on any bottle shop. He's not imported, exported anywhere in the world. And I can talk about him and his wines and his Shiraz. And oh my God, I can tell you how much he's running out every year. And he's just making some good shit for him to drink. But it's impossible to find. And so from an engineering standpoint, from a code perspective, I really kind of went, crap, we need to do something about this. We need to kind of figure out a way of helping that knowledge, that beautiful product, be disseminated and be communicated, right? Um, and ultimately, it's essential because a lot of wine producers are smaller businesses. So we've talked about this a number of times before. They're not really tech savvy. They're not really on top of their website. They're not really, you know, a lot of them do accounting in a spreadsheet. A lot of them do wine production in a spreadsheet. Um, and that's where, as a small business, they're not really on top of their tech and we really needed to kind of do something to help them um, connect with consumers, connect with the, the, the newer approach of actually selling wine. Uh, so yeah, I kind of feel like I'm rambling there. And like, if I want to jump in, so for me, it's, I don't do code. I can't write a line of code. So my, 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 I kind of wish, yes, I do kind of wish, but you know, to each their strengths. And mine is like design, graphic design and branding and packaging. So I studied um, communication uh, in France for four years, seven if you count before like curses, and then moved to Canada because I wanted to finally be able to speak English and get out of Europe. Nothing wrong with Europe, but I've never been outside. And my very first project as a freelance designer here in Canada was to design uh, a wine label for a winery in the Okanagan in BC. Um, and I just had this ha moment. I was just like, oh my goodness, I can do what I've been training at that time, like my whole life, like, you know, design and work in the world of wine and get free wine in the process um, because wine is expensive in Canada as well. And that was just like a kind of like a, all the goodness kind of like put together. And then after many years, like 14 years or something like doing this branding and packaging, like working with wineries outside of British Columbia, like going to California, Australia, Chile. Um, I just like really had this frustration that not having quality visual asset, you know, photography, lifestyle images from all that hard work that I've done, you know, it takes months to develop a new uh, branding system, new label, working with talented illustrators, working with printers to get all these finishes so that, um, you know, we stand out, you're being remembered on the shelf um, for like extra purchase. And that's when I came up without channery. It's just like, oh, I don't know how to code, but I do watch a lot of movies and I know like special effects or CGIs are really becoming more and more 
um, not just affordable, but like realistic. And um, I mean, I've told the story before, but it's true. Like I went to see Jurassic World uh, at the movies and I just left and just like, oh, come on, we can do T-Rex or whatever fake dinosaurs they made up. And I do believe this T-Rex is with the actors right now. Surely we can take the same technology, apply it to the world of wine and make accessible, no matter where you are, no matter like your case volume, um, you know, quality imagery, so that at the very least, like that's not, um, you know, a discerning factor for like distribution representation or like DTC and so on. So that's my roundabout way into stepping into tech more by necessity to avoid the, the busy work. Mm -hmm. I was, no, was going to say, we, we need to keep in mind that as an industry, um, wine is outstandingly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab here and label it traditional, right? It's one of the oldest products that's been sold or, or, or transacted on the planet, right? Um, and uh, as a result, technology has also not permeated technology has not really entered the world of wine as much as it has the world of transportation, as much as it has the world of communication, right? Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so from that perspective, I think there is also a concept of a challenge where, okay, wine is not really technologically enabled. It's a, it's a really social kind of a product that we're sharing with friends and family. Yet the economy of wine the number of restaurants I spoke to who still kind of a call reps and call distributors and kind of check on inventory and they don't know what they're going to get. Oh, we need to change that. There's an opportunity for technology to actually change the way that we actually discover and consume and share and, and acquire wine. I think that's, I think I said it's, I mean, the, it's the, and the challenge is also complexity. So it is old um, but it's probably one of the most complex consumer products out there. Um, and I think that, um, you know, you can do a lot in analog up to a certain point. Um, and I think that's, Agreed. and, and um, you know, the wine industry did fine before technology arrived as well. People were able to make the wines and distribute them and, and make people um, uh, happy. Uh, but obviously the way that consumers buy wines and the way that they're marketed and distributed have changed a lot. And so um, what used to work before in an analog, it, it somehow has to Not be transferred much. into a digital yeah. um, uh, and done in a way that still fits the way the industry works. I mean, it's none of us are doing something that is, has, hasn't been done before in other industries, right? And, um, but there is something in the wine industry that it just, it's, it's something special. It's uh, that is enough different that stuff from outside the industry can't just be translated one-to-one -one in. It has to be tailored and built together um, uh, in the industry. Um, but is, is, that, is that an emotion? Like it is, is that uh, reluctance just tradition or is it because people don't want to lose that emotion and they're scared or tech can't really convey that part of it? I, I don't know. I mean, I have some, I, I mentioned this every, every now and then that I wonder how much of some of the trends have to do with, um, with terroir and the sense of place 
and the fact that in in many ways the wine industry is a rather protected industry if you're if you look at craft beer um uh, anybody can buy the same ingredients that you used copy you and if they have a better marketing campaign then you're out of business um in the wine world if the u.s drank one glass of wine more um a day there would be a global shortage of of wine so there's there's not this massive surplus. There's only so many certified um, uh, certified plots of land out there that you can grow grapes on. And as long as you're able to sell sell the wines, you you have some control over. Uh, it's not as cutthroat as perhaps other markets. I know this is not necessarily always the case in the new world. I think it's more the case in a bit of the old world where wineries have been in the family for generations and. Um, and you're not under as much financial stress, perhaps. Um, but um, you know you are able to keep things going, and it's 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 not as it's just not as cutthroat um, as maybe other consumer consumer segments. And and I would flip that the other way around. I absolutely agree. Right, the the, the uniqueness of the product uh, is also its Achilles' heel. Uh, because the wine industry, I don't feel like globally the world of wine is really moving forward with consumer demand. While technology has now entered our lives to a point where you're producing a beer and you know there's going to be you know, a certain style, a certain genre. I was looking just recently at the whole craze in North America of seltzer. Seltzer? A seltzer? Um, and um, and the market is is set to grow four folds in the next four years, right? And this is a completely new product that the the alcohol industry has, is adapting to because the newer generation, the newer consumer, have demanded a new type of offering for quite a while now. And Dada is proving this. Right, so they haven't created a crazy marketing campaign or anything. They just put a product in the way that consumer wanted it. Wine, based on the fact that the product is so unique and so traditional, and you know we're probably going to sell it to someone who wants it. Wine, I don't feel is adapting to that as much as it could. Um, and I absolutely agree. The product being so special, look, it's never going to go away. Right, we're never going to stop making wine. Uh, however, wine needs to up its game in order to reach consumers, in order to, to remain uh, actual, in order to remain um, uh, like some uh, like a topic that has been discussed today. And I don't know, I don't know that the industry is moving fast enough. I really am one of those who thinks, holy crap, there's so many opportunities, so many things we need to do. Uh, it's outstanding. Laurie, could you leave us on a final optimistic thought about? Uh... <laughs> Well, like, <clears throat> uh, I mean, it's just like, I think the wine industry, though, will survive maybe a bit this crisis of identity slash technology right now. Um, it is really, like I said, mentioned, one of the oldest, um, you know, ever, like, products, like, consumed, transacted around. Like, it's just like there's a deep-seated uh, um, 
I could just really like speak to the human nature um, in general. So I really, I still have a lot of like hope for this uh, product and I love it and I love the craft that goes behind it. Um, and then what I would encourage, maybe there's a subject for another um, uh, podcast episode, but uh, there are a couple, uh, there's basically a study that says that the human society slash civilization may not be what it is today as in 2021 without wine um, because it helped you know uh, before even like humans had the same like language or anything like that it just helped human gather and build crazy structure even before stone age even before all of that so there's also a reason that maybe it's even almost in our DNA that we are hardwired to be receptive to that product because it does us good. Um, it was just fascinating. I never looked at wine as a product of something that grew with us, evolved with us to make us who we are today beyond well, pure enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was episode point. Oh, There you go. That was episode 14 of the Wine Tech <laughs> Insiders podcast. How we fell in love with wine. As always, our tech insiders, Seb from Trolley, Jonathan See from later, Bottle guys. Books, and Laurie from Outshinery. See you in a few weeks. Enjoy, enjoy your summer. Enjoy the holidays, everyone. We'll catch you later on. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so Ciao. much. Ciao. Ciao.